not only here in 2 Timothy chapter 2, but elsewhere in the epistles, we see this theme of the preacher's job being that of reminding God's people of gospel truth. In Titus 3 verse 8, there the Apostle Paul has given Titus another gospel summary similar to what we have here. And he says in Titus 3.8, This is a faithful saying, And these things I will that thou, Titus, affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. So the same thing that Paul, uh, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, told Timothy to, to do, remind God's people of these gospel fundamentals, he turns around and tells Titus the same thing. Then when you read in 2 Peter chapter 1, and why don't you go ahead and turn there with me. This is the, the last inspired writing of the Apostle Peter. So it's really the equivalent for Peter of what we have here uh, from Paul in 2 Timothy. And notice what he says in 2 Peter 1 verse 12. Wherefore... I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though ye know them, and be established in the present truth. Yea, I think it meet, or I think it good, as long as I am in this tabernacle, or this fleshly body, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance, knowing that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ has showed me. Moreover, I will endeavor that ye may be able, after my decease, after my death, to have these things always in remembrance. So what was Peter's desire? Uh, what was he intent on doing until his dying day? Stirring God's people up by way of remembrance of the gospel. Uh, but we see from that passage that it's not just the preacher's job. Uh, to stir people up by way of remembrance. Peter's ultimate goal was that even after he was gone, and even after he couldn't preach to these people anymore, that they on their own would be able to have these things in remembrance constantly. And, and Christian, it's important for us to understand that spiritual maturity, growing in, in our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, is learning to preach the gospel to ourselves and to preach it to others. We come to church and it's the job of the preacher to remind us from the pulpit of these gospel fundamentals. But from Monday to Saturday, it is our job to preach the gospel to ourselves and to preach it to those around us. And this is what the writer is getting at in Hebrews 5, verse 12. He's talking uh, to lay people. He's talking... Uh, to a wide Christian audience, and he says, For the time ye ought to be teachers. You ought to know these gospel fundamentals so well that you can turn around and teach them to others. But ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. What is evidence that someone is a, is a baby spiritually, that, that they're not mature, that you have to keep reminding them of these gospel fundamentals, and they haven't learned to remind themselves. They haven't got such a firm handle of these truths that now they're teaching them to others. That is a sign of spiritual immaturity. 
And so our goal needs to be, I want to get such a firm handle of these fundamentals that I'm preaching them to myself every day. I'm preaching them to others. This is real to me. I'm living it out every day. And so that's the goal. It's vital that we know these gospel fundamentals as well as our birthday, as well as our email address. It's absolutely essential. And so last week, as we were looking at this passage, at these gospel fundamentals, the first thing we saw was a gospel summary to remember. And you'll remember that there were four components that we see in verse 8 to the gospel message. There's Jesus Christ. And that reminds us that the gospel isn't just a philosophy. It's not just a religious creed. The gospel is about a person. It's about a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Then we saw the second component is His kingdom. And the gospel is not just a few points on a gospel track to lead someone to pray a sinner's prayer. The gospel encompasses the whole story of this book of time and eternity and all that God has planned for humanity. There's nothing bigger or better or more significant than the gospel. Then we saw the third component of the gospel was Christ's resurrection in verse 8. Uh, Paul says that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. And, and that reminds us that this gospel message that we believe and that we preach, it is rooted in historical fact. Christ's death on the cross for the sins of humanity is an historical fact. There is proof that a man named Jesus died on a Roman cross those 2,000 years ago. And there's proof. That he did indeed rise from the grave and emerge from that tomb. And so the message we preach, it is reality. And then we saw that the fourth component is your testimony. And while some people may not be convinced by the facts of the gospel, and while you can show people the movie, the case for Christ, and, and all the evidence, and you can give them literature, they may not be convinced by that, but it's hard to deny the power of a transformed life. And we saw that from the life of Paul, where he refers to the gospel in verse 8 as my gospel. And then as we were looking through these gospel fundamentals, the next thing we saw was this gospel servant to replicate. How the apostle Paul, as we're told in 1 Timothy, is the pattern that God gave us of what the gospel can do. And we saw that the gospel changes our destiny. From hell-bound sinners to heaven-bound saints. That's the salvation with eternal glory that's spoken of in verse 10. Then we saw that the gospel changes our disposition. It took a man like Paul, who was a selfish murderer, who, who was killing Christians, and then it made him a selfless martyr, someone who was willing to suffer as an evildoer for the sake of his brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we looked at this Gospel summary to remember, that was what the gospel is. Then we looked at this gospel servant to replicate, which shows us what the gospel does. But then tonight, for the few moments that we have left, we're going to look at how this gospel works. How does it change a person like it changed Paul? How does it transform our lives? And so that brings us to our third main point about gospel fundamentals a gospel saying to reiterate. A gospel saying to reiterate. Notice in verse 11. The Bible says, It is a faithful saying 
For if we be dead with Him, we shall also live with Him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with Him. If we deny Him, He also will deny us. If we believe not, yet He abideth faithful, He cannot deny Himself. If you notice those three verses, there's, there's no period from verse 11 until all the way at the end of verse 13. This is one faithful saying, and there's so much truth packed into it. Uh, but, but why does he introduce this by saying it is a faithful saying? Well, faithful means something that is worthy of our faith, something that we can believe in, something that we can trust in, something that is reliable. And in the pastoral epistles, there are five occasions where the Apostle Paul says, this is a faithful saying. Or in one place he says, this is a true saying. And in a world filled with lies, every time you turn on the TV, every time you look at your phone, every time for, for, for students that they go to school, the, the enemy of our souls is pumping lies into our minds. And in a world full of lies, it is very important that our lives are rooted in these faithful sayings. And that this is what we are trusting in. This is what we are building our life upon. This is a faithful saying. And what does it teach us about the gospel? Well, I want to look at the big picture first, and then hopefully we'll have some time to look at some of the specifics. There's a repeated word in verses 11 and 12 that I think helps us get at the main idea that the Holy Spirit is trying to communicate here. Look at verse 11. It says, It is a faithful saying, For if we be dead with Him, we shall also live with Him. If we suffer, suffer, we shall also reign with Him. You know what the Apostle Paul is getting at here? He's saying, this is how the gospel works. This is how it accomplishes uh, the purpose in your life for which it is designed. And if you're taking notes, could you write this statement down? This is how the gospel works. This is how it, it transforms our lives. The gospel unites us with Christ. That's the emphasis here. If we be dead with Him, if we shall also live with Him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with Him. The gospel unites us with Christ in three primary ways. In His death, in His resurrection, and in His future glory. This is how the gospel works in your life. When you and I are united to Christ at the moment of His salvation, what that guarantees, what that accomplishes, is that number one, we die to sin. Our flesh is crucified with Him. We die to sin. Then number two, we begin to live with Him in resurrection power. That's what it means to be united with Him. United in His resurrection. And then number three, when we're united with Christ, that means that ultimately we will reign with Him forever. That's what Paul is saying here. This is how the gospel works. It unites you with Christ to where you die with Him to sin, you live with Him in His resurrection power, and one day you will reign with Him forever. But you'll notice in the text that before the reign comes, before the glory of, of being with Christ in His kingdom... There's this preparatory phase. It says in verse 12, If we suffer, we shall also reign with Him. 
So, so God has to prepare us for this kingdom first. And, and then it says, if we deny him, he also will deny us. So this union with Christ, it's an all or nothing thing. So to be united with him, you can't be denying him at the same time. But then, lest a Christian should be discouraged, or lest a Christian should think that it all depends on them, depends on them being willing to endure, that's what the word suffer means there, or lest it all depends on them perfectly being faithful to the Lord, we have this promise in verse 13, if we believe not, so if we are unfaithful, or if we uh, stop believing in the power of the gospel, yet he abideth faithful. He cannot deny himself. And so that tells us that the gospel works because of him, not us. The, the gospel transforms us and the gospel impacts the lives of those around us because he is faithful. And so that's the big picture. Uh, how does the gospel work? It unites us with Christ in his death, his resurrection, and his future reign. But now let's look at some specifics of what this union with Christ that the gospel brings about, what exactly it does. So, if you're taking notes, number one, this union with Christ resurrects us from the dead. Resurrects us from the dead. Verse 11, if we be dead with Him, we shall also live with Him. Christian, please catch this. This is how the gospel works. The gospel was never intended to reform your flesh. The gospel was never intended to take you, your sinful self, and gradually make you better. That's not at all what the gospel was intended to do. The gospel does not reform our sinful flesh. The gospel takes our sinful flesh, places it on the cross, and crucifies it with Christ. That's what the gospel does. And then it raises us up again to walk in newness of life, in the power of Christ's resurrection, in the power of His Spirit. You see this all throughout the New Testament. It's not you trying to reform your sinful flesh. That's an impossible task. That's what the law proved. That we couldn't, in our sinful flesh, please God. And so Christ comes along and our sinful flesh is crucified with Him. All throughout the New Testament. It's why the Lord Jesus told would-be disciples in Luke 9, verse 23 through 24, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. Then you read in Romans chapter 6, which is probably the best cross-reference for this little statement about the gospel. If we be dead with Him, we shall also live with Him. There in Romans 6, we are told, we are buried with Him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. And it goes further and says, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with Him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth, we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. That's what the gospel does. Crucifies our flesh. We read about this in Galatians 2. Where the apostle Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. 
Nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Then in Colossians chapter 3, he says, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. Set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth, for ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. All throughout the New Testament, the flesh is crucified so that we can live in the power of Christ's resurrection. A few ramifications of this truth for you to jot down. You know what this means for our everyday existence as believers? That every day when we wake up, because we are united with Christ, because we've been crucified with Him, that means that every day of our lives, number one, my flesh is defeated. My flesh is defeated. That is, that is the truth for us right here. Because we are united with Christ, we wake up every day to a defeated foe. And it doesn't matter how strong that foe might feel or how weak we might feel, the risen Lord Jesus Christ lives inside of us by His Spirit and the flesh has been defeated. Now Christian, how many of us are walking in the light of that truth? How many of us are preaching that truth to ourselves daily? When we face temptation, when the flesh seems so strong, are we reminding ourselves, my flesh has been crucified with Christ, and I am risen with Him. To be dead with Christ means that we're free from fleshly cravings. We're free from ties to the world. We're free from true harm. Why is it that the Apostle Paul, when you read his letters, you get the feeling that he thinks he's invincible. Because he knew in Christ, he was. He said, I've already died. I've already died to my selfish desires. I've already died to my emotions. I've already died to all my ties to the world. I'm dead to anything that could harm me here on earth. My life is hid with Christ in God. And you can beat me, and you can throw me in prison, and you can stone me, and you can take away all my comforts. I'm a dead man. You can't hurt me. My life is hid with Christ in God. We know when, when it's all said and done, and we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, God wants us to experience the joy of someone who let it all out on the court, who gave it everything they had. And no, we in no way earn any of the rewards that we receive. They are only by God's grace. But He gives us the opportunity to be faithful, to, to endure on His behalf, and then to enjoy the reward. That is why the Apostle Peter writes in 1 Peter 4, Rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when His glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If we suffer, if we endure, if we're willing, like the disciples who followed Jesus, to forsake all for Him, the moment when we see Jesus will be one of exceeding joy. That's what God wants for you 
And that's what God wants from me. Before the glory, before the reign, before the, the trophies are handed out, He wants us to lay it all out on the court. But number three, we see that this union with Christ requires total devotion. Requires total devotion. Notice what the text says at the end of verse 12. If we deny Him, He also will deny us. There's no middle ground here, Christian. There's no being a halfway Christian or, or being a closet Christian, being quiet about your faith or only obeying some of God's commands. To deny someone means to say no to them or to disassociate yourself with them. And you read Scripture and you find that to deny the Lord Jesus is one of the most ungodly things a person can do. And typically, it is only something done by a lost person. And so really, we see in Scripture, there are two types of denial. That of an unbeliever who denies Christ's offer of salvation, who denies that He is Lord and Savior. And to those people, Christ will say, when it's all said and done, He will say, I never knew you. And He will deny them. But also, there's that denial toward the Christian who in this life was ashamed of Jesus Christ. And in that day, we are told, Christ said that whosoever shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed. It requires total devotion. There's no halfway following Christ or pursuing Him. And then finally, number four, how the gospel works it relies on God's dependability. We might read that about denying Christ and think about the implications of that and begin to wonder what does that mean for us. But we are left with this promise. If we believe not, yet He abideth faithful, He cannot deny Himself. Our, our salvation, our eternal glory, our sanctification in this life, everything God wants to do through the gospel it's dependent on Him. And He is faithful. And because He is faithful, we can be confident that we'll be ready for that day. 1 Thessalonians 5.24 Faithful is He that calleth you, who also will do it. Philippians 2.13 It is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of His good pleasure. The gospel works not because you and I are always faithful. Or you and I always... Uh, have that faith to move mountains. The gospel works because He is faithful. And Christian, if, if we examine our lives and we think, I haven't been totally devoted to the Lord Jesus. There are areas of my life where I've been denying Him. Be encouraged by the example of the apostles. Think of Peter, who denied the Lord. Think of the rest of the disciples, who even after Christ rose from the dead, they didn't believe. They were faithless. But Christ was faithful. And He brought him out the other side. Think of Paul, who, who refused to believe the gospel, and he had the witness of Stephen before him, and he, he refused. But God was faithful, and God was merciful to him. And, and the good work that God began in Paul, He performed until the day of Christ. And He'll do the same for you, and He'll do the same for me. These gospel fundamentals... We've seen that 
There's this gospel summary to remember. Don't forget the power of the gospel. There's a gospel servant to replicate. What God did in Paul's life is what he wants to do in our lives. But there is this gospel saying that we've got to reiterate. We've got to get a firm handle on these truths, how the gospel works. We've got to reckon ourselves dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God. We've got to reckon that our flesh is defeated and that we're victorious through Christ. We've got to accept and embrace the fact that God refines us through difficulty and stop being surprised or stop resenting the trials that come in our lives and start embracing them, being thankful for what God is doing through them. We've got to be totally devoted to Him and not deny Him in any area and then ultimately trust that because He is faithful, He will prepare us for that day when we see the Lord in person. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these gospel fundamentals and we pray that you would give us an understanding of how they play out in our daily lives and help us to learn to preach these to ourselves daily and to learn to preach them to others. Oh Lord, during these uh, next few moments, we pray that however you've spoken to us, we would respond in Jesus' name. Amen.